What's going on, guys? I'm JP Carey, and here's my co-host, Ben. What's up, guys? And today, we're going to just give you a breakdown of what's been happening in the NBA the last couple of days. Um, huge news, huge games, some trade uh, team fluctuation, records changing pretty drastically. So we're going to go through all of that. Um, but I think we got to start with the most exciting rookie to take the court this season for sure, and that's LaMelo Ball. He's been going absolutely crazy for the Hornets the last couple couple days. So, uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on LaMelo these past couple of games? Yeah, so we have talked a handful of times about how we wanted LaMelo Ball in the starting lineup because uh, he's definitely talented enough, and he's finally got it with Devontae Graham missing a handful of games, and he has balled out. Last game he played against the Rockets, he was 7-12 from the three-point line. And the thing that impresses me the most is I don't know that I've ever seen a rookie with the confidence that LaMelo Ball has. Like, he makes a lot of dumb decisions. He makes a lot of – maybe not dumb, but bold decisions. Tries a lot of reckless passes, tries a lot of reckless shots. A lot of them go in, but he just – he's playing like he's playing against high schoolers, not like they're NBA players. Like, there's no consequences. He's just going out and balling. And he has been amazing uh, as a rookie since he's been getting the starter minutes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I know me and you spoke about this a little bit. Me and you both want Lonzo to have the same confidence as LaMelo. And I think that's literally the thing that makes them different is even though LaMelo doesn't have the prettiest jump shot and like he's not the greatest finisher around the room, he has the confidence to take the shot anyway. So if he's, he gets hot some nights, like Lonzo doesn't have the nights this kid can have. And it's pretty evident. Um, like you said, he, he just plays with like reckless abandon kind of like there is no consequence. He, he's just going to go out there, make some crazy passes. And something that I've noticed too, cause me and you both spoke about it, his jump shot. We spoke about how, when he lifts up and shoots, sometimes his like legs get pretzeled and like he twists his legs and his whole body shifts and stuff. The past couple games I've watched, like his feet don't move like that as much anymore. Like sometimes you can still see it when he's like taking a fading shot, his feet will just cross and his body will shift. But if he's just straight on to the hoop or like on the wing, his feet stay in good position. And it's, it's going in at above 50% from the three point line, the last six games. So he's clearly figured something out. Yeah, it definitely still looks a little bit funky, but it is going in. Uh, it's interesting when you watch him take threes above the break, like when they're not corner threes, he's taken them from three steps at least behind the three-point line so he can actually get his legs into the shot. Because if you watch him take his threes from right at the three-point line, he bricks them a lot because he just puts too much into it. Um, but yeah, it is starting to seem like he is – not doing so much with his legs. Like the fact that they were twisting to the side was always awkward. You need a shot that doesn't have a whole lot of movement if you want to be consistent. And we are starting to see that. And the thing I'm, I was thinking when he first got drafted, I was certain we were going to see a couple of these sorts of games from him where he just balls out and is amazing. But I was also certain we were going to see like four points on 13 shots and Ever since the first couple of games where he just looked uncomfortable, I haven't seen anything that would make me think he's going to have one of those just absolutely cold games. Like, even when he's not hitting his shots, he's so good at finding open men. He's probably not going to hunt for his shot. He's just going to start finding open looks. Uh, I, I 
Tyrese Halliburton is an amazing rookie in terms of impact. I think they're pretty similar, if not Tyrese Halliburton having the edge, but stats wise, I can't see him ever passing LaMelo for this rookie of the year race. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you called it a couple of weeks back when we predicted our awards. Um, I had Tyrese Halliburton as the ROTY and you had LaMelo. Um, and it, it looks like a shoe win to me now with him getting starter minutes and he's not going to give up that job either. Like, you're crazy if you think they're going to put him back on the bench after seeing what he's doing now. Um, yeah, he's just playing out of his mind. And I think you're right. I think he definitely has the edge for rookie of the year. And James Wiseman really isn't even in the conversation anymore because he's hurt. And Tyrese Halliburton's really the only person that's even making a close push. But with him getting starter minutes and being making a big role and the Hornets are kind of putting together some wins here and there too. So the whole case kind of just goes to LaMelo. I love Tyrese Halliburton, but what LaMelo is doing is undeniable at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when Devontae Graham comes back, uh, what this lineup looks like. I talked about at the start of the season how it might be possible that we'd see Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, and LaMelo out there at once. And I think it works only because LaMelo's tall enough uh, that he could potentially guard threes. He's not very strong, so he'd get picked on pretty much, pretty easily if they decided to put him in the post. Um, but I don't know. I think it's definitely possible. Devontae Graham's not a passer, but and but Terry Rozier has been great. I don't know if anybody is taken out of the starting lineup. I hope it's been. I hope it's Devontae Graham because he has not been great this season. Yeah, it'll be Devontae Graham um, for sure. In my opinion, I don't think I don't think he's coming back into the starting lineup. But that's interesting because we've kind of seen this new iteration of lineup in the NBA this year or the last couple of years. Uh, it's kind of started with the OKC Thunder last year with Chris Paul, where they ran Dennis Schroeder, K uh, Chris Paul, and Shea all on the court at the same time. And that really worked for them. And then to start the year with the Kings, it was Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, and Tyrese Halliburton. And that's kind of been working for them. Um, but this, these three guards... I don't know if I see that working defensively compared to what you had with the other um, like trios of point guards or guards playing for other teams. LaMelo, he's a pretty active defender. Like he gets up in your face and he, he, he has active hands, but in terms of like staying in front of people, that's maybe not his like forte. He tries really, really hard, which I commend, but he can't sit in the chair and stay in front of a guy. And Devonte Graham, I, I think he's six foot flat. So, I mean, it's just going to be tough defensively. I think they'll probably give it a shot just to see if like the outscoring, if they can just outscore in the fourth quarter, but I'm not sure if that lineup works defensively. Yeah. Defensively, it kind of sounds like a nightmare. Lamelo's uh, as active as he is. You are right that he's active on defense. He puts in lots of effort on defense. He still tries to make too many risky plays. Um, if he, if his man doesn't have the ball and somebody with the ball comes near him, he's going for the steal. Um, he tries to read passing lanes a lot and he gets faked and then backdoored. So uh, yeah, their defense would definitely struggle. Devonte Graham's not guarding anybody. Terry Rozier is giving it his best effort, but I don't really know that he's guarding anybody either. Um, I would hope that they don't go with that sort of three guard lineup to close games, but I think like, a couple minutes a game, maybe eight to 10 minutes a game would be pretty good for them. Yeah, I think the ball movement could be something interesting with that lineup. I think because Terry Rozier is a gifted passer, even though he likes to shoot first and LaMelo, I mean, 
I think he's one of the most creative passers in the league right now, just the way he manipulates defenses and obviously the flashy passes grab everyone's attention. But yeah, this team excites me. Um, I, I'm still like unsure if I take this team seriously or not. Like I can't tell if I want to put actual stock in them, but if Lamelo's going to keep playing like this, where he's probably averaging a little under 20 points per game in the six game stretch that he's been a starter, it's, it's going to be hard for me not to trust this team a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know how sustainable this really is from LaMelo. Uh, he dropped 34 on the Jazz, which was pretty impressive because they're not a bad defensive team. Um, they just He's a rookie. There has to be a couple of games where he just goes cold and brings his averages down. It hasn't happened yet, but like it's, I, I imagine it would be coming, but also Gordon Hayward is a phenomenal passer as well. Um, if you watch these games, if you don't watch Hornets games, I highly recommend you do it. This is a really entertaining team. I don't know that they're a playoff team. They could be sixth, seven or eight seed. Just the way that the East is, it's weaker than I thought it would be this year. Um, I wouldn't take them seriously once the playoffs start, but they are an entertaining team. There's a lot of ball movement. And I think Malik Monk off the bench has been pretty good. They have a bunch of just barely under, uh, like they have a bunch of good players. Nobody that you really, really want on your team. I mean, maybe besides like Lamelo and Gordon Hayward. Uh, yeah. But they have a bunch of good players, and they play really well together. They all seem to enjoy playing together. So definitely recommend watching this team. Yeah, it's a pass-happy team. Um, it's just – it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch people play basketball the right way. So if you're looking for a team to kind of just watch and have fun watching, this is definitely team that, the team to do that. And like you said, the Eastern Conference is so weak right now um, – they, they have a legitimate shot to stay in the playoff race, which is – I didn't expect that for the Hornets. I thought maybe they'd be like the 10 seed and maybe play in and maybe shock people, but I didn't see them being a six seed in the, in the East. So, um, yeah, love LaMelo Ball. Really, really surprised by what he's been showing because, uh, like you said at the beginning of the segment, like I expected high highs but very low lows, like – almost unplayable type lows, but he hasn't really shown that and the effort's been there. I thought maybe he'd be kind of a diva just because of the way he played in Australia, but he's shown the opposite, man. He is such a positive force on this team. I was listening to the uh, post game yesterday and Malik Monk was just raving about how positive this dude is and how like how much that affects the whole lineup, how much everybody just loves being together. Uh, Yeah, I really like this team. One quick thing before we move on from the Hornets is I see kind of a comparison and you can tell me if you agree with it or not, but I kind of see this Hornets team as the Brooklyn Nets team with D'Angelo Russell a couple years ago, where everyone just loved playing together and they kind of shocked people by sneaking into the playoffs. Like I could see that being a potential outlook for this Hornets team this year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. I felt like the, uh, that Nets team, like D'Angelo Russell really played with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who is a dud offensively, still was putting up really good offense and good defense. They had a bunch of guys who had something to prove. Um, and this Hornets team, it's almost like they're playing with like absolutely no consequences. Like they are, they were so disregarded when this season started. Nobody really expected this from them. They're just playing with the most freedom uh, that I've seen this team play with. 
Yeah. And one last thing before we move on, I keep thinking of new things, but Borrego, the coach for this team is so underrated. Um, I don't know what system he came from. Like, I don't know if he was like a mentor of Pops or a mentor of Budenholzer. I have no idea, but they found a gem in Borrego. The, the two young coaches in the league right now that I would take is Taylor Jenkins from the Grizzlies and Borrego from the Hornets. Both of these guys definitely know what they're doing and they're, they're pulling everything they can out of the players that they have. Yeah, I was a little worried at the start when James Borrego was talking about how he wasn't going to give LaMelo a lot of minutes because of all the turnovers. But, I mean, it's a, it's a fair criticism from a coach, and he's still shown that he's given LaMelo the green light as much as he needs to. Um, but we want to talk about another player that's playing basketball the right way, playing really, really entertaining. De'Aaron Fox is the player of the week for the Western Conference. He has been taking over fourth quarters. He did it against the Clippers. He did it against the Celtics. Uh, I, I'm surprised that this team is a 500 team. And De'Aaron Fox, in my eyes, has absolutely earned an all-star spot. Okay. I, I think it's he's at the bottom. He's in a reserve. But I think he's been playing better than Donovan Mitchell, especially the last, like, 10 games or so. Um, I probably would take him over Devin Booker. I, I don't see I, – I know there's a bunch of really good guards in the West, but he's put up a couple of 30-point games the past handful of games, and he has taken over games and basically won it for the Kings. I, I really hope he gets that kind of all-star recognition. Yeah. I, I think I texted you the other day. You think he's an all-star, and you were kind of on the fence. Did the game against the Clippers seal the deal for you, where he just kind of ended it? Yeah. Uh, I – I was, I think at the time I didn't really take a look at like what guys he had been playing better than. I still kind of had Booker over him, uh, but I think that's just because I'm a Suns fan more than it's because I, I think that De'Aaron's worse than Booker or has been playing worse. Right. But I think just being honest and like looking at the other guards in the West, there's not that many that he's been playing worse than. There's not that many that I would give an all-star spot over like outside of the starters that we've already talked about, outside of the locks like Paul George, Curry, Dame. Uh, like when you start going into the reserves, I think he's one of the first names you should bring up. Yeah, and I think that's totally respectable. And something I love about what he's been doing is like what you said, the fourth quarters. Um, I watched the Celtics game and I watched the Clippers game. Um, and it, he just seemed unstoppable. And <laughs> In my opinion, the ultimate sign of respect is when a team puts their best defender on you. Um, and against the Clippers, they put Kawhi Leonard on him, and it didn't matter. And everyone knows my love for Kawhi and how highly I regard Kawhi Leonard. He literally blew past him without an issue. And you don't see athletes like De'Aaron Fox very frequently. He's on the John Wall, Russell Westbrook type level of speed I think De'Aaron Fox is one of the fastest players maybe ever to play um I, I literally I remember him grabbing or someone handing him a defensive rebound and then him making it to the rim within four seconds like there was still 20 seconds on the shot clock I don't know if I've ever seen another player do that other than John Wall but something I noticed too I, I think it was against the Celtics he is stepping into his threes with confidence like, he hit three straight threes. I think it was either against the Celtics or the Clippers, one of the games I watched. But it was just like the Clippers or the Celtics were just, yeah, take that shot. 
And he took it and he made it, sunk it, and he pretty much ended the game with those threes. So before the year even started, we had a conversation about De'Aaron Fox or John Moran, right? And mm-hmm. we were looking through their stats and you, you saw that he was only a 29% three-point shooter and you were like, whoa, like I didn't know it was that bad. If he can shoot an average level from the three-point like three line, that unlocks a whole different element to his game because there's not a single point guard in the league athletically that can keep up with him. So if they're scared of his three and he can pump fake and go past, like that's, a, that's easy points all day. So I've just been super impressed with him lately. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He doesn't even have to take difficult threes. Like as long as teams like the Celtics and the Clippers, I think they were both letting him shoot. Uh, as long as that keeps happening and he keeps his averages up by hitting those open threes, he's going to start getting respected from the three-point line. And yeah, you're right. That opens up so much from him as a driver. Uh, I love this Kings team. Like they're really, really interesting. Tyrese Halliburton is excellent alongside De'Aaron Fox. I think the three guard, this three guard lineup of Fox healed and Halliburton is actually really good because Tyrese Halliburton is one of the smartest defenders. Honestly, one of the smartest defenders in basketball. I watched, there's a, like a two minute compilation you can find of him baiting people into giving passes just so he can reach out with those like Spider-Man arms and steal passes. They are so, so entertaining. And I think at the head of this team, De'Aaron Fox has been leading the way. Like he's the one who gets almost the most credit. Yeah, I think, I think he should. And I definitely think he's deserving of Western player of the week, but I got to sneak some Tyrese Halliburton praise into this conversation. The dude, I think I texted you when he, we were playing the Celtics or the, the Kings were playing the Celtics. He's maybe like a top five closeout guy in the league, it feels like. Like if, it's, if there's one minute left in the game and he's open in the corner for three and they're down by two, he's making it. Like I have no question in my mind the shot's going in. And it's just such a unique thing to see from a rookie. It, it just doesn't happen that frequently where you're scared of a guy, a rookie, taking an open shot to take a lead. He just does it with, like, ease. It, it's, not a, it's not an issue to him. Yeah, so, yeah I, you're I, right. I, I also want to say, um, before I say good things about Halliburton, and I will say some, I want to just give a quick apology to Luke Walton because, but like, three, four games into the season, I wanted this man to be fired. Uh, yeah. I still don't think he's a great coach, but he's not doing a horrible job. I think he was experimenting with rotations. I think it's fine to do that early in the year. I was a bit harsh on him, and he's been fine. He's been, like, not excellent, but he's been average. I think he can keep his job. Uh, but, yeah, Halliburton, as a closeout guy, it is really, really surprising seeing that from a rookie. I've seen maybe seven different go-ahead shots, like one minute left in the game shots that he hits and he takes with the utmost confidence. I really think that this team, if they can keep Fox and Halliburton together, maybe trade Buddy and Bagley, if they could up- trade those two and maybe get an upgrade somewhere, this could be a dangerous team a couple of years down the line. And that's, that's what it all depends on, right? We have to count on King's management to not mess this up because as of right now, De'Aaron Fox is an all-star level player. I think you're absolutely right with that. And Tyrese Halliburton, I, I heard an interesting comparison for him the other day that might like 
make someone raise an eyebrow at first hearing it, but it kind of makes sense the more you dig into it. Uh, I heard a, uh, a comparison to Andre Iguodala for Tyrese Halliburton. And, and obviously they play just different positions, different body type stuff like that. But think about how many big shots Andre Iguodala hit for that Warriors team and how important his defense was to that team. And just the decision maker he was and stuff like that, it all kind of makes sense. And I feel like they have a player like that in Tyrese Halliburton with a higher ceiling. I don't think he's just going to be some like 10 point per game scorer for the Kings. I think he could up that easily. And I think he's already widely regarded throughout the league as like one of the better glue guys. So it, it all comes down to Kings management and whether they can maneuver that roster and just put the talent around those two guards moving forward. Yeah, it definitely, um, I'm going to touch on this a bit later, but it hurts the, the Celtics have been in trade rumors with Harrison Barnes basically since the season started. And as long as this team's good, they're not, I don't see them dumping players. They're not going to be sellers unless we can offer them some sort of young players that make their future more promising. But I don't know that the Celtics even have that uh, to the, to the point where it would be worth it to get rid of a guy like Harrison Barnes. It's an interesting comparison, Halbert and Iguodala. I understand like the clutch aspect of it and the good defense and the, just a guy you need on your team. Um, it's definitely a fair comparison. I'm still blown away by the fact that this dude is shooting 44% from three with the three-point shot that he's got. I Maybe it's just confidence. Like Maybe you can have the ugliest shot in the world. As long as it goes in, it's all about confidence. Because there's some guys in the league, like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is another one with a funky shot. Chris Boucher kind of catapults the ball. And they still hit threes at a pretty good clip. I'm it's like a little bit slow, but he's still getting it off enough that he doesn't really need to change it at all. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, we've kind of seen an influx in the league of funky jump shots that just go in for some reason. Um, I think we can even say that about LaMelo a little bit. It, oh, yeah. He's cleaned it up a little bit, but like you said earlier, it's not like a good jump shot. It's not, it doesn't look nice when he shoots it. You're kind of like, uh, is that going in or not? But yeah, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. Like if you're confident in your shot and you manage to find a way if the ball, like the, make the ball go in, it doesn't really matter the way it looks. So um, yeah, he, he's been shooting the hell out of the ball. He's just, I'm so glad he, he's on the Kings actually to be with a player like De'Aaron Fox. I'm glad he didn't go to like the Bulls or someone like that. I'm glad he's in the situation he's in. The thing that kind of hurts, one pick before he could have gone to Phoenix played with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and that would have been a crazy team adding Tyrese Halliburton. The fact that the Suns are already a four seed, that would have made them even better. Um, I think he – I've heard that he was telling teams, don't draft me. Like, I want to play for the Kings. I want to play with De'Aaron Fox, which that is a godsend for that Kings organization because they cannot help themselves from making bad decisions. Like the fact that they have a really good player that wanted to be there. I don't know what they did to get that, but that was so, so great for their organization. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, he basically told everyone, don't draft me. Him and the Kings had an, uh, an agreement that he would be chosen and selected to go to the Kings. Um, yeah, just kind of crazy. Glad I'm happy for the Kings fans. They have a nice player that they get to watch for the next like eight years or so or whatever. So yeah. Let's move on to the next topic. We're going to talk about the Cavs. 
my Cavs have been struggling as of late. They are two and eight in their last 10 games. And I'll just jump right into it. Um, Colin Sexton, still great. I still love Darius Garland. Larry Nance has been hurt, so that's tough. And Andre Drummond literally seems to be throwing games. Um, I know Ben spoke to me about this in our private conversation through text, but there's like a rumor or something going around that maybe the Cavs are inflating Drummond's value so they can trade him and they're not really focusing on the playoffs this year. Um, I watch all, I know this sounds crazy to our listeners at home, but I try to watch every single Cavs game that comes on and I, I noticed this, like Drummond is such a poor decision maker and like lackadaisical with the ball and you just can't really trust him to score. Even if he's on the low block, like it, you never really trust in Drummond when he has the ball in his hands. And then all of a sudden he has the ball in his hands, like every single play of the game. Um, That's just the way it feels to me. Like somehow the ball always finds Drummond. Um, it doesn't make sense. The record makes sense. It makes sense that they're losing with the way Drummond is playing. Um, It's just crazy. It annoys the hell out of me. I'm trying to think of like from a management perspective, are they just like, oh, we don't care. We're not making a deep playoff run this year. Like, should we just tank and get a good draft pick so we can add another like high caliber tier player to our core? Is that what they're thinking? Or are they literally just doing this to get Drummond off their books? I have no idea. What are your thoughts on the Cavs? I hope that they get Drummond off the books as quickly as possible. Um, he is currently seventh in the NBA in usage rate. So wow. the ball, I, who knows? Seriously, who knows? The ball is going through him more than almost anybody in the league, and it does not make sense. There's so many players that you watch where their impact is not shown from the stats and Drummond is the opposite end of the spectrum there where if you just look at his stats you'd think he's a good player he is not he's an awful awful decision maker he's really good at getting rebounds one of the best in the NBA probably the best right now at getting rebounds Um, but besides that he just he's too confident in himself he thinks he can take the ball up the floor you've seen him and JaVale McGee have taken the ball up the floor on a handful of possessions and it just frustrates me so much watching that happen um I think it's a case where they're trying to give him as many opportunities as they can to show other teams that he can be a good player for them I don't know that that's what's happening I don't know what team is looking at this and thinking I want him on my team So I've only heard two teams that are even somewhat interested in Drummond. It's the Dallas Mavericks because they're the worst rebounding team in the league by far. And then it's the Toronto Raptors because they've had the worst center play throughout the entire year. Those are the only two teams I've even heard remote interest in. And I don't know, you can tell me differently, but I think after this year, when Drummond's contract runs up, he'll be on league minimum. I think that's what he deserves. Yeah, I think the, the – I said this once before. I think the fact that he got the contract that he did kind of overinflated um, how good of a player he thought he was. Like, he did not deserve that max. The Pistons were in a tough situation where you're seeing this dude grow at a pretty good rate as a young player, and you have no idea what his potential is, but you don't want him to leave. So they gave him as much money as he wanted. Uh, obviously in retrospect it wasn't a good call but I don't know that they knew that then it's weird when you watch him if you 
go and watch like his high school highlights. That dude played like he was magic. Like he took the ball up the floor. He's putting it through his legs. He's doing fancy dribble moves. He tries that in the NBA and turns it over almost every time he tries it. Then he just keeps trying it. Um, Just, I think as soon as this team starts giving Drummond's minutes and touches to Jared Allen and just gets Drummond off the books, I think they'll be a better team, even if they got absolutely nothing for it. I don't even think tr- uh, the Dallas Mavericks are a terrible rebounding team. You're correct. I don't think getting Drummond makes them a great rebounding team. I just think all of the rebounds that they were, that they were getting now go to Drummond. Like he doesn't give you more rebounds. He just takes all the team's rebounds. That's completely fair. Um, it's hard to tell with that stat because you're right. Like, Russell Westbrook's kind of this way where like if you bring Russell to a team he's gonna get his 10 rebounds a game but is it is he just taking other people's rebounds or is he actually adding like rebounding value that's a great point with Drummond too you kind of don't know like do people move out of the way because they know Drummond's gonna grab it or is he actually like getting in there and grabbing boards um but something I want to touch on too is like the way the Cavs use him is so strange and this, I, I can't understand it, and it can't be from J.B. Bickerstaff because he's a good coach, in my opinion. He had that team as the second-ranked d- defense in the entire league just a week or two ago, and now it's the 10th-best defense. So it's still a top-tier defense in the league, but they use him like he's DeMontis Sabonis. Homeless Jokic is the uh, nickname I've heard for him. Um, yeah, they, they run offense through him and he has no idea how to have an offense run through him. Do you know if, uh, Bickerstaff was the coach when Sexton was a rookie? Because Sexton looked out of place and uncomfortable and like he didn't know how to play in the NBA. And I'm wondering how much of that blame goes to the coach. So it was not JB Bickerstaff. I'm pretty sure it was John Beeline who. Yeah, 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 yeah. That whole situation that happened that got him fired. We don't have to go into that, but, um, Yeah, no. Colin Sexton, this is the thing that drives me crazy, right, is they have so much dribble creation on that team. Colin Sexton is shooting well from three, and he can drive to the paint at, like, an efficient rate because just of how athletic he is, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have Darius Garland, who's a great shot creator and playmaker. And then Andre Drummond is the guy dominating the ball. It just – it does seem so forced, and – in the grand scheme of things, what's more important, right? Like make, getting some playoff experience or adding another really talented player to your team through the draft. Maybe that's what they're weighing. I'm not sure, but I'd love to see this team actually play some big games because we've seen them punch up against teams that are better than them. We've seen them do that. So it, it's bothering me that they're two and eight and I know they got blown out by the Bucs in their second game, but in the first game, they were competitive up until like five minutes left with the fourth quarter, and then everything just fell apart. But they were punch for punch with the Bucs, who we put in like maybe a championship contender. So this team, I don't know what to think about it. It just kind of bothers me that they're on this skid. Yeah, no, it's, it's not fun to watch at all. Um, my question for you, do you think once the trade deadline's passed – they're still going to continue to do this. Do you think the way I do that it's they're trying to inflate Drummond's value or do you think that they're tanking right now? So this is the, this is the, the question about this team because this will decide what their fate is at the end of the year. Um, 
what I don't understand, I think you're right. I think they are trying to inflate Drummond's trade stock or trade value. But my question is, is, is he someone that other teams in the league view as a player who can put them over the edge? Because why on earth would a team trade for him, give up assets for him while he's getting paid $28 million and have him go into free agency the year after where he's probably going to get paid league minimum? It doesn't make a huge amount of sense for teams to trade for him right now unless you actually view him as a player that can put you over the hump. But what team does he put over the hump? Like I was, I brought up the Dallas Mavs. Like, does Drummond put them into the championship contender conversation? I don't think so. I mean, championship conversation, I don't think they will or won't be because of Drummond, but I think they would be the team that could snag him up. They have a lot of cap space because they were one of the teams that was really hoping that Giannis was going to test free agency. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you could rent him for a year and you could give up not a lot for it, we saw what it took for the Cavs to get him. It took like a second round pick, maybe two second round picks. A bag of beans. Yeah. Literally a bag of beans. Yeah. Two players who probably aren't NBA players right now um, is what it took to get Andre Drummond. If it's that sort of deal that they just have to give up like Willie Cauley Stein or like just some player who's not doing enough for the Mavs team, I think Drummond would be a positive for them because their center play has been suspect. Um but it all depends on how many touches they give him when they're on the team. Like he is not the top four offensive options. If he goes to the Mavs, if they try running offense through him, he's just going to run their team further into the ground. Yeah. Um, I've had about enough drum and talk. I'm about to throw up. So. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day from Kevin O'Connor, who's a dude who I usually think is telling the truth. And I, like the the reporting that he does i like his videos uh that the celtics are in serious trade talks that uh bef- maybe within the next week or so a couple of weeks especially definitely before the trade deadline we will see some moves being made for the celtics um we've talked a little bit about who we think that might be but i i mean i'm saying i believe it i've seen a lot of minutes go to carson edwards these past couple of games and I think that's another case of them trying to inflate his value. He played really well against the Cavs. Um, I hope he's no longer on our team by the trade deadline. If we could trade him for somebody, that would be awesome. But who are some of the players you think we would go after? So I'm not as up to date as you are with the Celtics and who they're looking at, but I had a conversation with Mike Rugg the other day and he brought up to me the, maybe the potential of getting Nikola Vucevic. Um, and this is the trade package he thought that the Celtics would give. Um, shout out to Mike really quick. He thought Romeo Langford, like two or three first round picks. I forget exactly the number. And I think Carson Edwards as well. And that was not enough in my eyes. Um, Romeo Langford, we have spoken about him just between the two of us off the pod quite a bit in the fact that everyone just keeps saying, oh, he's going to be a good player. We've never seen the guy be a good player. Like we've seen him play defense. He does seem like a good NBA defender, but that's it. We haven't seen anything more from him. And it's just kind of hard to put his name in a trade for a former all-star like Vooch. 
it, it just doesn't seem compatible. Obviously, I'd love for Vucevic to come to the Celtics, and I think that would put up put us up right into the conversation of, like, Eastern Conference favorite. Like, I think we'd be in that conversation, but I just don't see it as a realistic option for us. Yeah, so there's a handful of players on the Magic that have been in trade rumors uh, for the Celtics. Terrence Ross has been one of those dudes. Aaron Gordon's been one of those dudes. Vucevic would be one of the best additions we could make to this team. Like he is one of the most underrated players in the league this year. I think Uh, he hits threes at a crazy high rate, but yeah, I don't think we've seen enough from Romeo Langford that any team would take that trade or any team would be excited about that trade. That doesn't seem like a win for the magic. Really quickly, do you think the Magic will be selling Vooch this year? Because they have been struggling. Obviously, they've been dealing with injuries with Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz, both suffering season-ending injuries. Um, they're, they're not playing as well as they usually do. They're 13th in the East right now, um, near the bottom. And do you think that makes them a seller? Or do you think they keep this core intact and just wait till next year to try again? I think if they are smart, they don't get rid of Vooch. Uh, he's not on the last year of his contract. He's got three years, and they have his bird rights, so there's a lot of value on that contract. I think giving him to the Celtics so that we could be contenders, I don't know that they benefit from that. Yeah. Um, Aaron Gordon is a dude who I expect them to trade. I think he's injured right now, which hurts those chances, but he is a dude who always seemed like he was going to be a better player than he's turned out to be. Uh, like Blake Griffin-esque in terms of his physical traits, but he just doesn't, he's not that great of a player. But if, I I don't know, man, it would be really, really cool to have Vooch. I just don't see that happening. I think Terrence Ross is somebody we could get, somebody just a sharpshooter off the bench. It seems like Danny Ainge is prioritizing. uh, He wants a wing or a big man. And the thing he has said over and over again is defense is just as important as offense. We don't need somebody who's just going to come in and score us a bunch of points. Uh, He said Redick is off the table. He's not looking at him. Um, Vucevic would be awesome. I just don't see it happening. So you brought up that Terrence Ross and Aaron Gordon have been in trade talks. I think this lends to the conversation of Vooch also being traded because it, this kind of looks like a just blow it up to me. Uh, Aaron Gordon, who they drafted, I think, fifth overall. He's on the table for trades. Um, Terrence Ross, who's probably like their second best player right now, is on the table for trades. And then Vooch, who has incredible value, in my opinion. I mean, Drew Holiday just got three first-round picks and like a starting point guard for him. And the last time he made an all-star game was like 11 years ago. Vucevic made an all-star game just last year. So... I mean, his value is pretty high, and he's even having his best season of his career this year. So I, I don't know. I could maybe see this as a potential blow-it-up year for the Orlando Magic, but we'll have to see. It could be. I mean, if you're really trying to tank, Vucevic will stop you from tanking at least a little bit because he is good enough to win you games. He's been good enough to win them games pretty much single-handedly. Right. Uh, I want to throw another name at you and see what you think about adding him to the Celtics, and that is Al Horford. He has had kind of a resurgence year on the Thunder. Um, He's still getting paid too much money, but it's not all guaranteed. I think of his next year out of the 27 million, only 12 and a half million is guaranteed. 
I think he benefit. I think he would be good for our team. We've seen how good of a pick and roll man he is, how good of a pick and pop guy, someone you can run your offense through. Um, I don't think it'll happen just because he's worth too much. But what are your thoughts on a potential Al Horford trade? So pure fit, I love it because he's exactly what we need. He kind of has a reputation as like a Joel Embiid stopper also, even though we know how gifted Joel Embiid is and he's probably going to get his own on anyone. Mm-hmm. But he's, he is exactly what we need. Um, it's just the money, man. I, I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, it's just too much for a player that provides what he does, which is like 13 points a game and like just below 10 boards and like some pretty solid defense and playmaking. I just think that is a little too much money for a player of Al Horford's caliber. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, the money was never, he was never really worth the contract that he signed. Um, Philly gave it to him basically just to make sure that there was no one in the East that could stop Joel Embiid because Al Horford, he is pretty much unmovable by Joel Embiid, and he's very smart, so he knows how to time when Joel's going to spin over one shoulder or the other. He's probably – he's the best defender I've seen in the East against Joel. Usually what we have to do now is just double him yeah, because one man can't stop him, and Horford could stop him as well as anybody could. Um, I'm still holding out for the Harrison Barnes trade. I think he would lead, he would be literally the perfect choice. He is good on defense, really solid on offense. He's a veteran. I don't know who we'd have to give up to get him, but I would like to see him. I also like the bigs on Dallas, Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell, but I don't know that Dallas is really looking to get rid of either of them. Yeah, so I'll touch on a few of the players you mentioned there. I think you're right with the Harrison Barnes. I think he's just a player you want on your team, but – the way the Kings are playing, they're not going to break that up at all. I don't think yeah. um, they they're seven and three in their last 10 games. I just don't. And they're in the playoffs in the West right now. So I think they're going to try their hardest to keep that afloat. Um, and then with Kleba and Powell, I don't really love that. Cause I think Powell's similar to Daniel Tice. Just, I think he's better, but why though? He does everything Tice does, but he's seven feet tall. Is he seven foot tall? I mean, maybe he's 6'10", but Tice is 6'8". Let me check. Because um, what I gained is he's kind of that guy who just flies around like that as well. Uh, let's see. He's 6'10", according to basketball reference. So he's like, all right, two inches taller. That, that does make a difference. He is a muscly guy as well. But, I mean, I, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. You know what I mean? They're very similar players, in my opinion. I think Tice – even though he's not a great floor stretcher, he's a little bit better than Powell. I mean, Powell, he's kind of just an alley-oop guy. Um, he's shown a little bit of ability to shoot the three, but it's more of just run to the hoop and catch an oop type of thing for him. And Daniel Tice seems to have a little more nuance in his game. Maybe that's just because I watch the Celtics more than the Mavs. But from what I've gathered, that's what I understand. Um, I don't know. I think our biggest area is for sure the center spot because even though as much as I love Robert Williams and the highlight blocks, he can just pull out of nowhere. He's just, he doesn't, his defensive IQ isn't exactly what I want it to be. If that makes sense. No, it's getting there. Um, It was definitely worse. It's definitely better than it was when he was a rookie, better than it was when he was a second year player. I think we've seen development from him every year. Um, 
but that's another dude. He's only six eight as well. Like how many six eight centers do the Celtics need? I don't I, I think Tristan Thompson has stepped up a bit in the past couple of games. The Celtics had an awful loss to the Suns. Um but I, I don't think Tristan Thompson really takes any of that blame. I like our bigs, honestly. I don't think I think if we were to get a wing who could do good for us on the bench, do well for us on the bench and hit some shots, I think that would serve us much better than switching out any of our bigs. Do you think the so you okay, so that yeah, I mean what you just said kind of answers my question. I was about to ask, like, do you think a wing player off the bench that can patch together minutes is more important than upgrading at the big man spot? Absolutely, yeah. I think Daniel Tice is a really solid defender. I think Tristan Thompson does his role as a role man and a rebounder pretty well. He doesn't take shots either, which I like. Um the problem is if you get a highly respected big man, I don't know, like Vucevic is going to take a lot of shots. I know he's going to make them. So that's good for our offense. Yeah. Um, but I would like a dude who's not taking shots away from Tatum and Brown. And I worry that if you get a highly offensive big man, that that's something that would start happening. Yeah. That's, com- that's a completely fair point. Um, yeah. We saw that with a little bit with Gordon Hayward. Um, he kind of took some shots away from Jalen and Jason. And now we've seen the growth that Jalen and Jason have had this season. So I can understand why you're coming um, at that situation with that uh, view. Yeah. So we're going to have to watch tight to see what sort of rumors continue to spread. Um, I feel it feels like every week there's somebody that the Celtics are going after. JJ Redick popped up and immediately Danny Ainge had to shut that down. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on and see and see who they end up going for. I really hope it's somebody. I hope Danny Ainge doesn't just sit on this money and almost do something and then not do it again. Yeah, he, he's kind of building a reputation for that. Um, but let's move on. We had a strange occurrence in a Nets game a couple of days ago. Um, Kevin Durant one of the league's best players, probably the second best player in the entire league, was unable to start the game due to a strange COVID test situation, then checked into the game off the bench for the first time in his entire career, and then midway through the game was told, you cannot play. So he was off the bench, not playing, in the game, and then reminded that, hey, you cannot play, and then was taken out for the rest of the game. So... That was one of the weirdest situations we've seen with COVID this entire NBA season. What, what was that like for you, Ben? Uh, it's obvious that this whole situation is not perfect with COVID. It's, it's obvious that the NBA is kind of working on this as they go, but that was kind of silly. Um, if you at the start of the game say this player is not cleared to play, the reason was there was somebody within his circle, somebody uh, on the staff in Brooklyn who had had an inconclusive test to start the game. Um, in the third quarter, it came out that it was a positive test, which is why they ended up taking him out and keeping him out. But I, I mean, if you start the game and say you cannot play because of COVID, you can't put him back in the game later. Like it, it didn't make sense. You either have to let him play or keep him out for the whole game. Um, the fact that after he had been sharing the floor with everybody on those teams, then they say, oh, there's a COVID scare. We got to take him out. Like that would probably panic a bunch of those guys because a lot of those guys go back home to their families. They see a whole lot of other people. Uh, James Harden was talking about how we're all in the locker room together, like without masks, just hanging out. 
if he has COVID or like, if there's a scare, like that's it, the game should be postponed. Like that's all of us who are affected. Um, it was a weird move. Kevin Durant was obviously not happy about it. I really hope we don't see something like this again. Uh, I, I, it's annoying that the NBA has, is as overcautious as they are sometimes, but I think caution would have served them better here uh, than leaving him, than letting him go back into the game and then taking him out again. Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right. And we spoke about this a little bit before the year even started. Um, the NBA is nothing like the NFL, right? The NFL disregards all health and safety protocols to make sure that money making machine continues running, right? The NBA, obviously they want to keep making money, but they're more cautious and more wary of health protocols than the NFL. The NFL just said, oh, if your best player gets COVID too bad, they have to sit out a week. You have to pick up a guy from the, the local town, like football team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. Like you said, it, this is one of those situations where you kind of wish the NBA was a little less frantic and a little less paranoid about these things. Because we look at this situation, like you said, James, like James Harden said, they're in the locker room together anyway, right? They, he, he doesn't have a mask on. They don't have a mask on. They're preparing for the game. Then he's told, don't go play. You have to sit on the bench. We have to figure this out. And then he gets the okay. And then you pull him out again. Like you said, I just feel like it creates a panic. And they, there are the NBA is already pretty dominant with their policies on what they do with health protocol. I mean, me and you both watched Michael Porter Jr. miss like three weeks of game time just because people around him had COVID. I don't think he even got diagnosed with it until two weeks after he got, uh, after he, he, after the first two weeks he missed. So they're very on top of this, but sometimes it comes out as like disorganized or maybe just like by the skin of their teeth, like all of a sudden they decide to do things. Um, I don't know. It just wasn't the greatest look for the league, in my opinion. It kind of looks sloppy. I, I don't know how you interpreted it. I think it looked sloppy. The problem was that it happened to Kevin Durant. Like if this was Joe Harris or Bruce Brown or somebody uh, not as important on the Nets, there would be some confusion. But like when you have Kevin Durant, first of all, tweet like free me and then respond to the NBA statement with like, nobody cares about your whack-ass PR tactics. Like he was obviously, he was immediately like vocal and angry about the situation. And because it's Kevin Durant, that gives, you get a lot of media attention for that. Um, Yeah, it's, it definitely looked sloppy. Uh, We're going to talk about this in a second when we talk about the All-Star game. I don't know that I agree with the fact that the NBA is not just a money-making machine. Like, that's true because actually let's just kind of, let's just talk about it now. Yeah. Um, so the all-star game is all of a sudden happening before the year started. It was a no brainer that it wasn't happening. We were just going to name the all-stars and then everyone got a week break and then we'd come back to the season. Now reports are coming out that there will be a three point contest, a dunk contest, the all-star game, and it's all taking place in Atlanta who honestly, isn't doing great with COVID in their state. So this is pretty confusing to me. And we'll, t- we'll get into this conversation now. The whole money-making machine that I view the NFL as, 
this was very reminiscent of the NFL. This is exactly what the NFL would have done. It's, I don't care about your safety. Um, I don't care if this goes poorly. And something that immediately jumped into my head when I saw that they were trying to rally the all-star game together is what if LeBron, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic all get COVID. The product of your, like the, I'm trying, the quality of your product as the NBA goes down so quickly, you're going to have a week or two of games without those players playing in it. It's just, that would be the disaster that the NBA is trying to avoid in the first place. It makes no sense to me. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I also think it's a big mistake. And I think it's just a little bit disrespectful to the players. Um, During that initial COVID wave that had hit the NBA a week and a half or two weeks ago, they implemented rules that were basically, excuse me, everywhere you travel, all you do is you sit in your hotel and you wait for the game to start. You don't talk to family. You don't go outside. um, And the players abided by those rules. And then to turn around and send them to Atlanta for an all-star weekend. Like there's, you're not going to be able to get every single guy to stay out of trouble. Um, And you're right. Like if one person gets it and they bring it onto that stage and then it ends up affecting like seven or eight really good all-stars that kills the, the money-making aspect of this whole thing. Um, I, I, it's interesting. Chris Paul signed off on this because he's the one who runs the Players Association. And immediately we heard LeBron say, look, I don't, I don't like this. My head's not going to be in this. I'm, I'm not a fan of this. Giannis agree with LeBron. De'Aaron Fox said, we all know what it's about. It's about making money. Um, it's not a good look for the league. I really hope that they cancel this i hope that they don't go through with it i think you could do a three-point shooting contest like within each team's facility if you wanted to record your guy and then send it in the dunk contest doesn't have to happen i think a dunk contest with no fans is not what anybody wants to see Um, but just give the guys their accolades and move on i think giving them a break would be nice too yeah um and you i want to touch on something you said really quickly like the NBA implemented a new rule set where basically you stay in your room and you don't talk to anyone. And George Hill spoke about it before the season even started, where he said, if we can't talk to our families, if we can't go talk to normal people, why are we still playing basketball? And this is kind of what this felt like to me, because if the NBA is going to implement the rules where you have to stay in your room, basically seclude yourself from society so you can keep playing basketball for them, why are you then making them go out of their shell and go out to Atlanta to play a basketball game? It seemed very hypocritical to me. And like De'Aaron Fox said, it's very money-making hungry. It's so obvious what the NBA is doing. And I've listened to multiple different people's opinions on this. And I kind of formed an opinion on my own that the NBA should just be upfront about it, right? Like we heard before the season start started that the players wanted to start on Martin Luther King day this year, but the NBA said, Hey, we got to start on Christmas day, or you guys are going to lose like $500 million and all your paychecks are going to be cut in half. That transparency made it easier to understand why they made the off season so short. I want to see the financial ramifications of what, 
not like what would happen if you didn't have an all-star game because then maybe it would make more sense to me like I don't know how much money they're losing from not doing these events that garner millions and millions of dollars every year so maybe if they put out the financial statements I can understand it a little bit better but as of right now I just view it as selfish and hypocritical yeah that's a really good point um Adam Silver is usually pretty good about being transparent. Usually I trust him with the decisions that he makes, but this one has been bad. And then they turned around and Chris Paul said, we're always going to have the intentions of our players. Uh, That's always going to be our main priority uh, in the players association. That's what me and Adam are reaching for is to have the players uh, goals and intentions at heart. And that just seems not true at all. Um. Maybe it would be different. Chris Paul's not a serious all-star contender. So it's kind of a situation where he's voting on stuff that doesn't really affect him. Um, but I don't know, man. Who You might lose money, but when LeBron James says, this is a bad idea, we shouldn't do it, you just listen, I feel like. Uh, like there's not that many – nobody's got the kind of uh, – media attention that LeBron James has. Nobody has that kind of influence in basketball. And if he is adamant about, I don't want to do this, they should listen. I really hope that they will. I'm not sure when the All-Star game is supposed to be, like how long into the future it's supposed to be. I think they have time to change this decision if they wanted to. Um, But it doesn't seem like there's really any interest from the side of Adam Silver to change this decision, which is a little bit disappointing. Yeah. um, I I don't know how much I'm going to talk about two points you made. First, I'm going to talk about the LeBron point. Um, LeBron did say last year, like, oh, I don't want to play if fans aren't in the stadium. If the NBA had listened to him, he wouldn't have had his fifth championship. So I think that kind of worked out for LeBron. So maybe the NBA paving their own path works out sometimes. But I want to talk about Adam Silver a little bit. Um, I think he kind of has this like God status almost in terms of being a commissioner and how he runs the sport and stuff like that. And I'm not sure how well warranted it is. Honestly, I think what he does for the NBA community is great. I think for the outreach, what he does is great, but for the players alone, I'm interested in to hear your take on this because I'm going to do like a tiny small breakdown. I'll try to make this as short as possible. But when he, his first like huge task was the Donald Sterling racist remarks thing. Right. And everyone was like, wow, like he kicked him out of the league. What a hard way to start your career. And many make the argument that that's the easiest way to start a career ever as the commissioner, such a blatantly easy decision to make. Oh, an owner is racist towards a sport that is predominantly filled with black men. That is the easiest decision to make. You just kick him out of the league and ban him for life, which he did. And now with this COVID stuff, it kind of feels like he's fumbling it. I think that bubble was a massive success, but I don't know. I feel like sometimes we give Adam Silver too much credit when maybe he doesn't deserve it. I don't know if what your opinion on that is or what. I think there's a little bit of recency bias going on. Cause I think if you looked back on people's opinions of Adam Silver, like a couple of years ago, he was viewed pretty unanimously as the best commissioner in American sports. Um, I don't know that that says a lot. Cause I don't really know anything at all about the MLB and NFL's commissioners. 
but I've never really had anything bad to say about him. It feels like he's made the right decisions pretty much at every move. But to be fair, I'm not scrutinizing the moves that he does make. You're right. The Donald Sterling thing was an easy move to make. Um, That was the right move to make. It was easy. I don't know how many really challenging situations he's had to make. Well, Daryl and Wuhan. Wuhan, uh, Not Wuhan. Sorry. um, China. I think he made the right decision there. He didn't say anything that would really upset China. He basically said, we stand by Daryl's right to say what he wants. Um, what did he say he did in the first half i'm pretty sure he like oh like we don't stand by daryl and and then he flipped the script and then said what everyone wanted so it's like there was a a billion dollar panic there when china said hey watch this no more no more basketball in china yeah it's it's obvious that money is at the forefront of his decision making but that's what you expect from any commissioner right um, we even saw LeBron James call Daryl Morey uneducated for his comments, as if Daryl Morey had, doesn't know what's going on. Um, that was disappointing, but it's it's obvious that there's that money making is the main concern here. Um, I think they honestly need to discuss it with I, my my last point is if a majority of all stars. Whoever they end up selecting, if they don't want to do this All-Star game, I think for making them do it is a bad idea. I think it's going to be an awful All-Star game also. Like, if people don't want to play, we're not going to be watching entertaining basketball. I think that's a great way to wrap up the conversation. Like we heard LeBron said, he's going to be there physically but not mentally. And we don't want to watch a whole bunch of players that don't want to be there play. Um, usually the all-star game is like the highest honor you can get for a player other than like MVP and being a champion. Um, they do it for the fans. Like that's, that's a fun game to watch, even though there's no defense being played. Like it's just fun to watch all the best players play at the same time. But if people don't want to do it, I don't think I'll watch. Um, but yeah, let's move on on a happier note. Um, one of the big grass, sorry. Best battles I've ever seen happened a couple nights ago. Uh, the Warriors played the Mavericks, and Steph and Luca just had a head-to-head battle all night long. Um, I'm pretty sure Steph scored like 57, and then Luca had a 40-point, 40 42-point game with 11 assists and seven boards. Um, just, just a battle of the Titans. What did you think of that game? It was a really, really fun game to watch. Um, the the scoreboard, it's upsetting looking at the scoreboard how little help Steph Curry has sometimes I think Wiggins has been really good this year I've I've talked a lot of trash about Wiggins since he's gotten into the NBA and I think it's deserved because it's obvious that his effort levels were not there on the Timberwolves but he's putting in effort on both sides of the ball uh here and it's been really fun to watch Draymond Green had an excellent game despite the fact that he has no idea how to put a basketball in a basketball hoop um he had four steals i think it was like 15 assists oh seven steals four blocks 15 assists that is a draymond game like he played excellent watching steph curry score 57 points and not winning really really hurt um i i i think we'll see more of those in the future this season unfortunately yeah, I think you're right. And I, I, I'm glad that our podcast talks about Steph Curry as much as we do, because I think he deserves it. 
Um, he's just going bonkers this year. Um, they are still outside the playoffs, but this is one of my favorite teams to watch. I think I've probably watched their games the most only behind the Celtics this year. Um, yeah, Steph Curry with 57 points going 11 from 11 for 19 from three. It's just like how many other players in the league can do something like that? It's just, he's incredible. His handles unstoppable. And I want to give credit to uh, Luca as well. I, I know the opinion of Luca isn't exactly what it was last year. Um, I kind of, I don't really subscribe to that. I think he's having a down year, but I still think he's probably going to be the guy who takes the torch from LeBron when it's all said and done. Um, but yeah, he, he just balled out. He had one of those games that we spoke about earlier in the season when he was really struggling. He's going to have a game where he just hits seven threes for no reason, even though he's a bad shooter. Um, he hits seven out of 12 threes over 50% from three. And when he does that, you're probably not going to win the game. Yeah, there has been a lot of uh, negative talk about Luka recently. And some of it is warranted. I don't think if you're talking about how well he plays, I don't know that that's warranted. He's still averaging like 28, eight and nine. Um, He averaged 29, nine and nine last season. So it's the slightest bit down, but like you'd love any team would want him. Um, the, The criticism that I have seen of his that is warranted is the whining and the foul baiting. I see him pout on the, like on the court while he's being, while he's in the game a lot when teammates make decisions that he doesn't like uh i saw Jokic do that yesterday when mpj was making dumb decisions that stuff is not what you want um like i you you have to just save that energy and talk to him at the end of the game talk to him during a timeout like you can't pout on the floor and watching him i i want to know what your thoughts are uh, there was a foul call that he got on Wiggins where he pump faked and Wiggins jumped up pretty much vertically and Luca jumped four feet forward into him and got the call. It's an awful call and I wish they would stop calling it, but I can't blame a player for doing it because it gets your team fouls and they're, they're important free throws. Yeah. Um, I want to know what your thoughts are on that because that's been a problem recently. I think it's one of the worst calls in basketball. Um, I think it's plaguing the sport. I think every time I watch something like that happen or the Trey Young version, right? Where you go around to pick and roll and then you just stop and like just contort your body so they have to hit you. I hate all of that stuff. Uh, Like Steve Nash said, it's not basketball. And it kind of reminds me of James Harden a couple years ago. James Harden used to just play for the foul. He wouldn't even play to make the shot. So like he would go up for a shot attempt, but he'd just throw it away. Like he just, cause he knew he was getting the foul. He didn't actually have any intention of making the shot. And it just, it kind of drives me crazy. I think it's disgusting and it slows the game down too. Like fast pace, fast break, like battle back and forth. That's what I love to see in basketball. I don't want to have to see Luca jump four feet forward or Trey Young jump backwards or do the same thing as Luca jump four feet forwards to get a foul call and get two easy points. I hate that. It needs to be gone from the game. Dwayne Wade was probably the worst at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Three. Um, I hated watch. I, I honestly, I'll just say it. I hated watching Dwayne Wade play. I could never watch him because he was so frequently doing that type of stuff. I couldn't watch it. 
Um, yeah, I, Luca's turned me off a little bit this year, just in terms of viewing viewership, because last year when I watched him, I noticed the whining a lot, but I, I still kind of viewed him as the shiny new toy. But now that you get the whining mixed with the on-court pouting, like he, you'll, you'll literally see him like throw his hands up in the air and just walk away slowly on the court. And you're like, are you five? Like everyone who's played pickup basketball has played with someone like this before. And it's just the worst feeling ever. Like it, it's so annoying to play with these types of people. And it's just like, I, I don't know how great of a leader Luca's being this season. I, I don't want to go too into the weeds with that, but I, I just don't know if people have fun playing with Luca. Yeah. I think when the the engine is working properly when this team is functioning properly people love playing with Luca because he gets him lots of wide open shots um but he has not been a great leader like on court it's obvious which is so disappointing he's a front runner if things are going great he's all smiles he's all happy he's making jokes he's pushing teammates like he'll make jokes to the reporters and stuff like that when he's losing he's miserable mm-hmm. to look at to be around any of it he looks horrible out there it starts from the first play of the game it starts if he doesn't get a foul call when he thinks he wants it he's he complains about every single drive um it's funny seeing zach Lowe tweet about him being the biggest whiner in the game and then mark cuban tweeted at him and was like f you you don't know what you're talking about he did he was right uh luca's a whiner unfortunately um but they the the refs have to do something to stop that as long as it keeps being beneficial to be a whiner, players are going to keep doing it. And it was interesting watching that uh, Warriors versus Mavs game because Steph Curry is the exact opposite, where he, I think in terms of the superstar players in the league, I think Steph Curry gets the worst whistle. Um, I think he it's drives, LeBron. what's that? I think it's LeBron, but Steph's a close second. I think that's fair. Yeah, LeBron's probably fouled on every single drive. Um, but there's so many plays where Steph gets, like, hammered. There's con- there's a lot of contact, and there's no call. And he gets mad, but then he just moves on. Right. Um, and Luka gets mad, and then he keeps getting mad. And then at the timeout, he'll walk over to the ref and tell him what he thought about that play. And he's just not been in the league long enough to where I'm okay with that. I think the thing is, though, is with talent comes tolerance, right? Like, the refs view Luca. I think, the same way the NBA community views Luca as, like, kind of the next big thing. And they, they give him the calls. So he's going to keep whining and complaining because he knows it works. Um, like you said, they, they give more leeway to players who are good. Um, and sometimes we see whining from LeBron too, and we definitely see it from James Harden. I think um, LeBron whines a lot. Oh, he's a top, he's a top three whiner in the league too. But it works for him, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's just Luca, the way the Mavs are playing and the way Luca's acting this year, it's just not a good vibe. Doesn't feel like the year for them at all. Yeah, it is clear Luca is really, really frustrated with the situation. And it makes sense because they're not the team everybody expected them to be. Um, but when you're the best guy, even when your team's struggling, I, it's up to you to make sure that 
that like you continue to play steady, that you don't start playing awful, that you don't start giving up. And I would be worried, honestly, about him giving up after if they have a bad losing streak, like five, six games in a row. Um, he gives up like individual plays. I could see him doing it for a fourth quarter. If the fourth quarter's not going his way, he's not getting foul calls. He'll just sit at the top of the key like James Harden does or did before he was a net and just watch the offense happen. That's, that's definitely concerning. I, I, I don't know that I see it changing because if you come into the league with that kind of attitude, like where's it going to go? It's only, you only got more room to, to be that kind of dude. So that's a little bit concerning about Luca as just a person. Yeah, exactly. Um, I read a, a, I either listened or read a report from Tim McMahon, who is kind of like the, the Dallas Mavs like insider and he was kind of going through the point that the Dallas Mavs have forced Luca to be the leader of this team this season when he didn't have to do that anywhere else throughout his entire career. Um, on the Olympic teams, it was Goran Dragic. In the Euro League, it was the veteran players there. Um, his first two years in the league, it was J.J. Barea. And now just because he's the best player on the team, they kind of just threw him into the leadership role. And I think it's pretty evident that he's not a leader or not a good leader. He's kind of, I don't know, that the attitude he brings to the court isn't leadership, in my opinion. I think it's irresponsible and just kind of like childish. I think it's something that you can develop, but certainly right now he has not been a leader. I think um, you look at like how LeBron James came into the league. He wasn't a leader at the start. uh, And I think towards the Miami years when he started, when Dwayne Wade basically gave him the keys to that team and he decided that it was his team to run, you saw a lot of growth from him as a leader. I don't know where that growth would come from because Luca's already the man on this team. Right. Um, Yeah, sorry, go. LeBron didn't come into the league as a whiner, though. He developed the whining. Yeah, you're right. came into the league as a whiner, so – it's just it's tough to see that changing like like you said earlier like if he's doing it now 15 down the 15 years down the road he's still going to be doing it that's just the reality of it yeah i mean i don't think Kawhi leonard's a great leader either i think he's a dude who just shows up and balls you need a dude on your team even if he's not your best player you just need a dude on your team who can keep morale up and make sure that your bench guys your supporting cast play above their potential and I don't really see that from Luca. You're right. Yeah. So I think that wraps it about up. Uh, ben, any finishing words? I got nothing. Thanks everybody for listening in. Peace guys.